When I think of somebody that joyfully sacrifices for kingdom causes, the first thing I think about is her weird profile picture on Facebook. And then I think about her. Um, she's passionate and disciplined, which I think is a really rare mix. Um, she's intentional in all that she does. And maybe most of all, getting to know her, having her serve on staff this semester, just seeing how serious she is about helping others encounter healing in Jesus. And so she's been a gift to me, a gift to our staff team. I know for Georgetown, clearly a gift to you. But could you help me give a warm, excited welcome to our speaker, Caroline? Thanks, guys. The camera pans, revealing a desert of mountains. And as it zooms in from a bird's eye view, it reveals two armies that are gearing up, preparing for war. And as you go further, the camera zooms in further to the army that we know. We know the logo. We recognize it. And as you get closer, you can hear the excitement, the anger, the frustration, the anxiety, the fear. But I have to be honest. I'm sitting back on the couch watching it. I've got an unusual piece, because I know the, the authors aren't going to kill off the main characters, or at least you hope not. Um, that would make a horrible storyline. So I want you guys to join me on the couch with me and open up to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And these two armies, it's the Israelite army versus the Philistines. So you think you might know where it's going. So beginning in verse 2, the Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camps, and the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, surely it will save us from our enemies. Dun, dun, dun. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant. When the Isra all of Israel saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into camp, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the Ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help! Who can save us from Israel, from the mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with the plague when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight like never before, Philistines. If you don't, we'll become Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up and fight like men. I love that line. So the Philistines fought desperately and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The Ark of, the, uh, the Ark of God was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. So today I was asked to speak on how do you take a break without taking a break from God? And you may be wondering, okay, Caroline, why on earth did you just read that passage? Those two have absolutely nothing to do. You're talking about Israelites, and you're talking about essentially Christmas break in 2019. They're completely unrelated. And I'd say, okay, I agree. But I think the point here is, is that if we look at the surface level of that question, I'm just going to be diagnosing the symptoms. 
rather than I think God wants tonight to get at the heart of that issue behind it. You see, that question, how, how do I take a break without taking a break from God? It implies a mindset that I believe has an inherent error in it. It's a mindset that I can break away from God. That, in other words, that just, okay, let's take a, a breakup situation. That it's, in, case, in the case that you're breaking up with someone, not if you're being broken up with, that's another story. But if you're breaking up with someone, you're saying, it is my will that you are no longer in my life anymore. It is my will that I'm not going to carry you into battle. It's my will that I'm going to take you into battle. It's my will, God, that you stay out of this area of my life. But it's my will that you come and heal this area of my life. And I think we're at a very pinnacle question here of are we, is our mindset of a God who serves me when it's convenient for me? Or rather, so in other words, if we're looking at going into break, are we thinking about, okay, I'm going to leave God essentially on the shelf of my dorm room, or better yet, I'll, I'll take him in my suitcase with me. And I'll pull him out on Christmas Eve when my family says a prayer, but then the rest of the time when I'm with my family, I'm, God's going back in that suitcase. Do you see what I'm saying? It, but for us, guys, it's, it's, not, it's not just when we're going on break. It's the life that we are currently living of where we're keeping God in a box. Some of us are, not necessarily all of us, but I think some of us have a tendency to think of a God who is in a box serving us when it is convenient for us or when it fits for our lives. For example, it works. It doesn't work when we're here at, on Thursday night, but what about when we go home on Thursday? What are we watching? What friends are we talking about? What are we saying? What about on Friday night? Who are we hanging out with? Who are we choosing to sleep with? What are we choosing to do? And there's that aspect, but then I think if we go back to that original question, it really raises the question of, are we, are we bringing God with us? Is he an add-on to our life? Is he sprinkled onto our life? Or is he the central of our life? And you may be saying, okay, Caroline, okay, I'm seeing where you're going, but that doesn't, like, you're pulling a lot out of an Old Testament passage. Yeah, I can agree with that. But... Um, I think Jesus is saying the same thing. And when Jesus is talking in the New Testament, he, uses, he starts talking about sewing. You think that might be weird. And he says that if you have a piece of cloth that's broken, you don't patch it with a new piece of cloth. In other words, I'm not a patch to your life. I'm not something that you can just stick on those broken pieces of my life and hold you together. I'm not just some patch you stick on your back when you have a backache and then take it off and throw it away when you're done with it but rather I want to be the very central piece of your life. And he's like, okay, for those of you who don't like sewing, let's talk about wine instead. <laughs> so he's like, uh, well, you want to take new wine and put it in an old wineskin, right? Because when you put new wine into a wineskin, it ferments, gases are produced, the wineskin stretches, and an old wineskin doesn't have that flexibility. Rather, it splits and shatters. The same thing with our lives. God's saying, I'm not coming to your old life and pouring my spirit and myself into your old life. I want to completely transform you from the inside out. And so I believe not, not only in those examples, but then, it, I mean, you look at Ephesians 2.10. He promises that you are a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15.22, everyone belongs to Christ is a new creation. Guys, 
He wants to transform you. He's not an add-on out there, but he wants to transform the very being of who we are. And that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is now living inside of us. And so then I think going back to the original question, I think we have to have a, we're at a crux right now where we have to decide, are we living with an image, with a mind, mental concept of God being in a box, or are we living in the reality that we have been transformed and that God owns and changes our entire lives? And then if, we, if it is the latter, I think the question changes. It's no longer how, how do I take a break without taking a break from God? But it then becomes, how do I live transformed when I go back home? And I think that that is a really crucial um, distinction and difference. But one thing I'd also love to bring up, I love the way that um, Ben Stewart says it, Pastor Ben Stewart says it. He says that our God is not in the business of clipping wings onto caterpillars. Rather, he's in the business of transforming caterpillars into butterflies. But I think the reason we struggle with going home so much or going back to places for Christmas or for any holiday for that matter is because we are returning to the place where we were a caterpillar and we're returning to it as a butterfly. And we've only seen that world from the ground on our bellies and we haven't seen it from flying. So those initial instincts of what we, how we want to respond and how we want to react, we're responding from a caterpillar perspective, not from a butterfly perspective. Um, and I think... The reality is that if we have been transformed, we need to act differently in those circumstances. But I'll be the very first to say that it's not easy. For those of you who know me, you know that I've had a very, very rough relationship with my younger sister. The two of us have grown up absolutely fighting and being best of friends and worst of enemies. And there's something about when I'm home and when I'm with her, I know exactly what buttons to press to set off nuclear war at our house. And I think maybe for some of you, it's not necessarily that you have a sister that you do that with. But somehow when you're with mom, you thought those grudges, those painful memories, those irritations, you would bury down, you'd forgiven maybe, or you, those grudges were gone. But there's something about being in her presence that just causes you to lash out. Or maybe it's dad, where he knows how to press your hot, hot buttons and you know it, it just comes out naturally to push back. Or maybe it's friends that you have back at home, where you in high school used to lead a completely different life, and now in college you've changed radically, and it's something about being in their presence that temptation just overtakes you, and you can't, get, you can't uh, go back. Or maybe, for, okay, let's be honest, We're go most of us are students at Georgetown or American University. Our political beliefs have probably changed. And it's the holidays. So you know those discussions are going to come up. And some of us are incredibly passionate about that. And we, we want to totally try to convince the other side that we're right. But for those of you, sidetrack for a second. For those of you who do think like that, may I remind you we've been called to be righteous, not right. That we are not called to convince the other side, but we are called to be children of God. But for others of you, so there are things that are painfully similar, but I think they're also, for some of us, we're going back to things that are painfully different. The reality that mom has left and isn't here anymore, and that's a knife cutting in the heart, the feeling of rejection. Or maybe it's dad. Maybe dad passed away. 
and the reality of all your hopes and dreams of what Christmas would look like in the future with him can't come true. Or maybe it's the struggle of knowing that by coming to Washington, D.C., you had to give up something else at home, or you weren't able to be that with that one person at the end. Or maybe it's the uncomfortable feeling of dad is remarried, and there's a new woman in the house, a new stranger, and home's not comfortable anymore. So I think the question we're facing right now is when you get on that bus, when you get on that train, when you get on that plane, are you getting on it as a new and transformed person? And you were trying to bring God and that transformed person back home? Or is God staying in your suitcase? Is he staying on the shelf? And if you find yourself in the first group of you are trying to take that transformation that has happened in your life and you're trying to take it back home. I, I totally agree, and that's, uh, to be honest, incredibly difficult to do. Um, when I first left uh, after high school, um, my best friend and I, my battle buddy, I call her, um, would meet up at the beginning of Christmas break every, every year and go, how do we do this? How do we take the growth of how we've grown and changed through the year and bring it back at home? Because there's something about being back at home, I just slip into my natural tendencies. And I just shoot from the hip. And I think the Bible offers many different ways to walk through this. Um, I'm going to share two with you that have helped me, um, but that by no means means that it's everything. But I don't want you to think of it as step one and step two, but rather I want you to think of it as guardrails. That as we are pursuing Christ, running after Christ, these are two ways that are keeping us on that path. And if we stray too far to one side, we become legalistic. If we stray too far to the other side, we become maybe too emotional. I don't know. Um, and the first one is our habits. Our, the first one is habits, and the second one is staying focused on God. And um, there's this amazing Christian who was a missionary in China. His name is Justin Early, and he wrote a book called The Common Rule. Um, he was a missionary in China and then came back stateside and went to Georgetown Law School, Hoya Saxa. Um, and he talks about habits, and he says that our unconscious choices form as much of us, if not more of us, than our conscious ones. In other words, that our habits are not tangible to our worship, but they're the very central thing to it. And if you were to strip away everything in your life right now and you were only to look at your habits, what would they show that you're worshiping? Those are the unconscious things. Those are what your heart is really saying. Who, who do they show that you're worshiping? He also says habits form much more than our schedules. They form our hearts. If habits form much more than our schedules. They form our hearts. So I think as we think about going back, going home, ending the semester, I think it's really crucial that we have a game plan, that we sit down with God as a, as a game plan and create how, what are habits that I can drill into my life that help me keep me focused on you so that it's not even a, it's not even a question anymore. It's second nature. When I was dancing professionally, um, I was considered crazy for a lot of different things. But one of those was that I'd get up early. And the studio would open at 8, and class would begin at 9. And yes, I was in Milwaukee. And it was not fun to get up in the morning and walk outside where it was 14 degrees or negative 40. 
Um, but I still win anyways. And we get to that studio where it, that hadn't been heated yet. It was probably 40 degrees in there. But the reason I did that was because I knew that if I didn't warm up my core, then I would be a floppy, loosey-goosey dancer <laughs> in the end. And I knew the whole day was shot at that point. But I think the same is true with us. If the, we aren't taking time to change the core, spend the core of who we are, that's going to set up the alignment for the rest of our day. If we aren't changing the core and spending the time of the core of who we are, then how can we dream about being aligned with God throughout the rest of the day? And maybe for some of you that's doing, hopefully for all of you that's doing a daily devotional, maybe that's morning or evening, or better yet, both. Um, or maybe it's a setting, like you already pick out a church that you know you're going to go to, um, whether or not your family goes to it or not. Maybe it's before you leave school, you have a battle buddy that um, you say, hey, we're just going to check in with each other every week or every two days. Um, but to go ahead and create those habits in place so that it doesn't become a question. It's not, a, it's not even up for debate. It's natural. And those habits are pointing to who you're worshiping. The second guardrail I mentioned was focusing on Christ. And I think that is a constant dialogue. I mean, for example, when you're a kid, they always tell kids when they're learning how to ride a bike, don't look at the tree. Why? Because the child is going to run into the tree if they continue focusing on the tree. And I think the same thing is very true with us that we are going to go in the direction that we're focused on. And if we get into those battles at home and if we just automatically shoot from the hip and do with what's natural, then we're focusing on ourselves and we're just gonna continue doing what we're doing. But rather if we take that transformed self and align ourselves with God and say, I'm focusing on you, but also stay in constant dialogue with him, and through that constant dialogue and through the power of his Holy Spirit inside of us, remember that was the same power that rose Christ from the dead grave. It can definitely help you at home. Um, that, I believe, is going to, that, I think, is a huge guardrail. But what I mean is to say, God, here's my mind. And when I see that person who I used to date and who broke my heart, help me not to feel the pain. God, here are my eyes. And when I see that uncle that's an alcoholic and he just drives me crazy and I don't understand why, help me to see, give me x-ray vision. Help me to see what's really going on. What's, what's the heart behind that? Lord, here's my mouth. And when I try to degrade my younger sister or just for some reason this foul stuff fall, falls out of my mouth, will you please put a grate on there? Will you please put a filter on there? Will you guard the words that come out of my mouth? Lord, hear my ears. And as I listen to my grandmother tell her stories for the hundredth time, may you instead <laughs> may you instead give me ears that show her respect, show her that she's valued, show her that I care that she's here with me right now. Lord, for those of us that have an eating disorder, Lord, here's my stomach. Guide my mind and my stomach and help me to remind me who you are and who I am in light of that. Lord, here's my hands. And as I wanna punch that person right next to me at Christmas dinner, <laughs> please instead help me to embrace them with the loving hands. You guys, we're all, whether we like it or not, about to go into a battle. 
We have one of two options. We can try to face it on our own, and then when it doesn't work, call God in in the box. Like, come on, God, okay, fix it now. I don't think he works like that. I don't think he works like that. You look at 1 Samuel, and he's like, I'm not a God who serves you at your convenient time. I'm a God who wants to transform you. Or we go with the second option of saying, Lord, you've transformed me. You've worked miracles in my life. You've healed me in ways that I could have never imagined, never dreamed for. Will you please help me carry that? Will you carry me as I walk through that back at home? So we'll transition to a time of questions. If uh, I think that's Trinity. Yeah, hey, Trinity. Great question. Um, I think the first, very first thing is to center your life on, like to center your day on God. Um, because at least for me, I don't know about you guys, but when I haven't spent time with God, everything just flies out of proportion. Um, and I get angry far more easily. Um, and I think it's really crucial for us to be planted not only in his word, but also to be praying with him. Because I believe prayer is not just a one-way communication, guys. But it's, I think, a way of God downloading his heart into ours. And if we are praying in that mechanism, then we're starting, not mechanism, but in that mindset or that paradigm, then we're starting the day with not our heart, but his heart. Um, I think another one is to get in the habit of when you do hit stressful situations. Um, and I just blew by it today. <laughs> I, I just blew by it today. I was in a really stressful situation at work. Um, and I, I just snapped. Um, but to catch yourself, get, start getting in the habit of catching yourself um, before that happens and just say, Lord, guard my mouth. Um, and just shoot off those little prayers of recognizing what's happening um, and asking God to put a stop to it. So again, you're transforming, you're, you're fixing your gaze on him and asking him to help you. Because a lot of these things, um, I don't know about you, I can't fix them on my own. I just make a wreck out of them on my own. I don't know. That's hard. I think, especially when you're dealing with a family of non-believers, it's it's fairly difficult to, um, and it, it, I think it's it's even that much more tough to come back home, and try to remain changed and transformed because they're so used to seeing you in one light. Um, but I th I think again, it's that one you really have you have to think to God, and I don't think expect change over to happen overnight um, because they've seen you for 18 to 23 years of your life um, and but I think little by little um, thing uh, hearts begin to change I know with my sister <coughs> um, <coughs> she walked down a very dark path for um, an extended period of time and I just kind of got in the habit of kind of blowing her off, of just saying, well, this is who you are, or this is how you're going to respond. 
Um, and it wasn't until she started treating me differently and I started seeing change in her that I began to realize, wait, something different is happening here. It wasn't that my responses changed first. It was that her responses changed first. And she kept loving me even though I kept dishing out the her that some mean stuff. Um, and so I, I think it's, you are only responsible for your own actions and to stay in line with God through that even when it's difficult. It's better to be righteous rather than right. And I think to walk in alignment with him on that. Um, and again, to keep, not only to be praying um, through all of that, but I think it's, it's beautiful because some of you are the only Jesus that your families will ever see. And it's ironic because it's Christmas. And God realized that Jesus was the only bit of God that we would ever see. So I think it's not something to take lightly. It's not something that is going to change overnight. It's going to be difficult and hard work. Um, but you need to stay true to your king first. Great question, because I think for many of us, we get burned out and we just want to crash and toast. Um, but I think you, you're still interacting with people. You're still, um, it's in the little things. I mean, yes, maybe you might sleep a lot, but um, it, do you think the question's in terms of burned out spiritually or burned out just like emotionally? both. <laughs> okay, I'll handle, I'll handle the emotional one first. Um, I think if you're burned out emotionally, just like physically, emotionally exhausted, um, I think one, that's beautiful because we have a God that I think accepts that and cherishes that. I mean, you look at um, Ezekiel. Ezekiel? Uh, I get the two mixed up. Um, the one who called fire down from heaven. And right after that, Jezebel, uh, Elijah, thank you. Um, an e, e, yeah, um, Elijah. So Elijah calls fire down from heaven, and then Jezebel uh, essentially says, "I'm going to kill you." And Ezekiel, who or Elijah, who just performed these incredible miracles, um, flees. He scatters. He's like, "I'm done with ministry. I'm done with God. I can't handle this." Um, and yet, God, God's response to that is not to say, why, "Why are you doing this to me?" It's instead to approach him with love and say hey, buddy, you've been through a lot. It, you need to eat, and you need to sleep. <laughs> Go take a nap, and I'm going to bring you back some patty cakes. Um, and then he did that for like two days. Um, so I think God definitely understands uh, that we do need sleep and rest. Um, but I think it, it's just, that doesn't give us an exception or a leeway for blowing people off or just yelling at people. I think in some ways that's even even more critical situation because as actually as you and I were talking about before, when you put someone in hot water, that's when you see their true colors. And stress definitely puts you in hot water. So um, with regards to the spiritual one, um, yeah, that, that, that I think it's a very similar answer. I think we go to that. Good question. What if I don't know I've been transformed? 
Um, I don't know, I'm thinking of Romans where it says transformed by um, transforming the way you think and act. I think I think when you're in the thick of it, when you're at school and you're running 100 miles an hour, it's sometimes very difficult to realize transformation that occurs. Um, and I think sometimes we get to a point where I don't know about you guys, but I think in my own life, I think there have been times where life feels like such a blur. I don't really have time to take stock of what's happening. But I think if you have made that, not only made the commitment to follow Christ, but you've completely devoted your life to him, um, and where he's not a God in a box to you, where he's not a vending machine where you punch the right numbers and you get out what you want, or a genie in a bottle, um, but rather he, you really have made him Lord of your life. I think there's a point in time sometimes where we have to trust him, actually all the time, um, and trust that he's working inside of us. But I think even more than that, asking um, for that change, for that transformation, for that constant dialogue with him. Um, because I think God, God is a gentleman, and he's not going to necessarily all the time break into our lives in ways um, unless we ask him to and say, Lord, here this is. I'm surrendering it to you. Will you take it and will you transform it? So I think one thing is to look at your prayer life, and I think oftentimes it is going back to home. Um, and I think it's, it's a huge blessing for those times and circumstances where we see the change, where we see the difference, um, where we are able to see that transformation. I don't think it always happens over time. I mean, uh, immediately. I don't think it's necessarily a drastic change. Um, but I think that key is first looking at your heart and seeing is that aligned with God and is that following him. Bless you. You're good. Um, so we're gonna. I'm gonna transition this into a time of prayer. Um, but just just to reiterate, guys, we are all about to go into a battle, and it's our choice on how we go into it, who we bring into it, who we don't bring into it, and how we enter it. We can either enter it on ourselves, trying to carry God along, and I promise you, God's not gonna obey you. He's God overall. Or we can enter it transformed and go, Lord, please help me maintain the growth, the ground that I've taken, the growth that I've grown, and continue to help me to grow back at home. So you'll join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God that surpasses everything that we can understand. And Father, that you're a God that we can't understand and that you're a God that we can't put inside of a box. And for some of us here tonight, maybe that box concept hit home with you. And it's not necessarily that 
it's our, always our mindset, but maybe you've just drifted into a time where God has been in a box. In certain areas of our life, he's off limits. But in other areas where we have an audience, he's allowed there. And guys, I think tonight God is asking, Lord, let me take over. Let me carry you. Let me love you. And if that's you, I just ask that right now, if you're so bold that between you and God, you just open your hands and say, Here, here's my life. Here's all of me. And for those of us who are standing on the transform side. And we're looking at how do we go back home and maintain what you've done in our lives. Father, may you help us. May you give us the strength. May you give us the courage. May you give us the devotion to form habits that show who you are, that show that we worship you. And may you give us a vision to stay focused on you. Father, use your spirit to empower us to seek you and to seek you first. Father, may you fill each and every single one of these individuals right now with your Holy Spirit so that you overflow through every word, through every word that comes out of their mouth, through every pore of their being, through every action that they do. And Father, may we be a people who are living for you. May we not make the same mistake the Israelites did of thinking we could go on our own. But Father, may we be people who are passionately in love with you and transformed by you and walking with you. Father, you on Christmas gave ransacked heaven to rescue us on earth, to ransom us on earth. And may you remind us how much you love us. And may that be what draws us to continue to pursue you. Father, we love you and praise you. In your name we pray, amen.